Right now is the absolute best time to start creating the future, the invisible architecture of the life you want, unrealistic, unbound from material reality. Welcome to Sacred Work, a podcast here to guide you through the inner work that allows you to share your light and do sacred work in the world. I am your host, Taylor Ray, manifestation coach and spiritual business mentor. And here we talk all things manifestation, abundance, impact, stepping into your purpose and creating the reality your soul came here for. It is my true desire to empower you to awaken to who you really are so you can quantum shift your life and business. You're here in divine timing beauty. Let's dive in. Hey beauty and welcome back to Sacred Work. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so honored to connect with you in divine timing. I know you will have been brought here for a reason. And if you are a returning longtime listener, then welcome back gorgeous. I'm excited to be with you for another episode. Inside of this episode, I am sitting down with Kasha Urbaniak. Kasha is such a powerful source of energy. I know that you will feel it in listening to this episode. I definitely felt it in interviewing her. It's an incredible energetic exchange and speaking with her is really eye-opening in so many ways. Kasha is the founder and CEO of the Academy, a school that teaches women the foundations of power and influence. Kasha's perspective on power is unique. Over the course of nearly 20 years, she has worked as a professional dominatrix and practiced Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China. She's the author of Unbound, A Women's Guide to Power. Since founding the Academy in 2013, Kasha has taught over 4,000 women to radically increase their power, agency, and influence. Using practical tools, Academy graduates transform their lives by breaking the yoke of good girl conditioning. They step boldly into leadership roles within their relationships, families, workplaces, and wider communities. They become adept in the art of verbal self-defense against bulldozing, bullying, and gaslighting. They make bold, life-changing asks of the people around them in a way that feels good to the person being asked. They can hear no without getting flustered or giving up and use resistance as a way to build intimacy and partnership. If that doesn't get you excited for this episode, I don't know what will. Honestly, I was so excited when I connected with Kasha and the work that she does in the world with really helping women to really own who they are. And I really mean that deeply. You know, it's not the surface level sort of positive thoughts and just like, you know, talking about empowerment. There's so much more that she talks about on such a deep level, including the good girl double bind, how to break the freeze, how to really own your desires, how to really entertain the concept of what a bad girl really is and why that's one of the most empowering things that you can do. We talk about the balance between masculine and feminine energies, how to command attention and why the structure of attention, whether it's inwards or outwards, is such a powerful powerful dynamic to play with and the integration of all of ourselves. There was so much as we were speaking that really helped me to reflect on myself, you know, different areas that I can expand, different things I can celebrate about myself, different ways in which I can just reflect on my being and really witness that and look at it. 
and then open myself up to new ways of being as well. So there was lots and lots of takeaways for me inside of this episode, and I know that there will be for you as well. So as you are listening, please do screenshot your favorite parts of the episode and make sure you tag me on Instagram at this is Tayray, and you can tag Kasha at the real Kasha Urbaniak, and we will link her details in the description below. Thank you so much as always, Beauty, for being here. I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get into it. Welcome back to Sacred Work. I am honored as always to be here with you for another episode. And it is not just me today. I'm sitting down with a beautiful guest, Kasha Obaniak, and I'm honored to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. I felt very compelled by the work that you do when we connected and I was reading about all of the work that you're doing. I was like, we need to get you on the show. We have amazing women that listen to this podcast and, you know, there's a lot of talk in the world about empowerment and everything like that. And I know that your take on that is very different and I'm really excited to chat to you about all of it and to really dive into the different ways in which you help women to really own all of who they are. Um, So for those who don't know you or have never come across your work, do you want to give us a little bit of a background info into what it is that you do? I spent 17 years being a very successful dominatrix while endeavoring to uh, be a Taoist nun. And these twin paths uh, led me to a place where I could see very clearly how the structure of power is built on how we use our attention and men and women are raised to use their attention differently. Therefore, in the most primal, primitive foundational sense, regardless of the words you choose, regardless of the tone you take, even regardless of the body language, because all those things tend to follow one basic pattern, and that's the structure of attention. So in the talk about the empowered woman, the woman with power, women leading the way right now, seeing how these power dynamics are structured, I think is fucking fundamental. And to be able to understand them in a bodily way, One thing that's also required is really being able to celebrate all of yourself. Mm. And that sounds like some kind of positive psychology stuff, but really what we're talking about is how the human body, the human being broadcasts its presence and communicates underneath language. So holding things back, holding things behind ends up creating communication blocks that manifest in language after the fact. Mm. It's definitely interesting and I'm excited to dive a little bit more into what that actually means, you know, what it is, the way that it comes across, the way that it gets communicated. As you said, there's a lot of communication, I guess, that is out there around, you know, the positive reinforcement and, you know, just feel empowered and things like that. But obviously you have such a different take on it. So can you expand a little bit more by what you mean when you're saying that, you know, the power dynamic in the community? Yeah, really really simple things. So the the first part is the structure of attention, the difference between how we're conditioned through our gender conditioning to use attention differently. Mm. Taylor, if I insult you or I ask you a provocative question, for a split second, your tendency will be that you will go inward. Your attention will go inward. When I conduct workshops and I tell 600 women in a room, I'm going to ask you an inappropriate question. I'm going to come up to one of you and I'm going to ask you an inappropriate question. Your one job is to not answer the question. You can speak, but don't answer the actual question. It takes five or six times. Do you like blowjobs? Did you get that job? Because you slept your way to the top. 
or are you married or how are you, right? The challenge to not answer the question, there's a default state of going inward and going, do I know the answer? Should I answer the question? How do I do this? What, what's happening to me right now? The conditioning for men is entirely different. If you ask a man an appropriate question, it's the opposite. Nine times out of 10, he'll say, why do you ask? He'll put the attention out. He'll put the attention back out and say, why do you ask? Why do you want to know? Are you taking a poll? What kind of question is that? Who are you? <laughs> entirely bypass the question and go, hey, put the attention on you in another way. Nice eyebrows, nice lips. Like, are you having a nice day? And this may seem insignificant, except it is absolutely decisive in terms of gendered interactions. It will determine your fate in the realms of sexual harassment and everything we've seen with Me Too. You get stuck, right? You go inward, you get stuck, you look for the answer. And in those moments, a lot of really terrible things can happen. So we call that the freeze, but this is just one little tiny example of the structure of attention. To be able to put your attention inward on yourself, we call the submissive surrendered state of attention. And to be able to put your attention out and keep it out fully is the dominant state of attention. If you look at how animal packs lead, it's the alpha, the leader that will put their attention out. And it's all of the followers who will put their attention in. There is no better or worse position in the human interactions. We are constantly switching. We are constantly switching. We are switching poorly. One of the reasons power dynamics get, get such a bad reputation is we notice them when they're not working. It's when they're messed up. And when they're, they're messed up is when both parties or one party is stuck and we're not fluidly switching. If we're having a conversation, we're going back and forth. Attention is moving back and forth. So like in terms of practical things, give a woman a compliment. She'll deflect that attention. Offer her something she wants in an unexpected way. She'll refuse it. There's this position now that we're cornered in. We're energetically, as animals that are broadcasting and communicating constantly, we are in compression. We can't put our attention fully out and keep it there. And we can't receive attention and fully take it in. And, you know, working on this underlayer of communication alleviates so many of the more complicated problems that go on top of that. Just learning the fluency. And in doing so, in doing so, in training a woman to be able to have her attention fully in and fully out and switch. This is the second part that I was talking about. The integration of all ourselves, our feelings, our, our different sides right? There's a level of self-approval that's required just in the moment, just in the moment. It doesn't have to be like a big, deep healing, but just in the moment. So the way we broadcast messages with our being by the use of our attention is a language that its outcome is pretty complete and final. This is so interesting. And as you're saying so much of it, I'm like, yep, I can, I understand that for myself. I've seen it in others. I love this conversation with what you're saying around the structure of attention. What I want to know is why is it different between men and women? Like, obviously there's so much conditioning, but like, where does that come from? Why is it like that? And what can we start to do to change it? Well, there's a, there's a, a child rearing issue, right? There's like a, the way that we treat boys and girls differently and that's changing and it's been changing and it's going to keep changing. I hope. So one of the basic human needs is belonging. A child knows he or she belongs, not necessarily with positive attention, but with attention, negative or positive attention. It's the attention that lets the child know that it belongs. When the dose of attention is given to a boy child, the tendency is it's timed when the boy's attention is outward. What does that mean? When the boy does something, Billy got into a fight, Billy scored a goal, Billy broke something, right? 
And the tendency is that we reward girls with attention at a moment where their attention's on themselves or in a way that directs it to themselves. So Mary's wearing a beautiful dress. Is Mary getting chubby? Isn't she well-mannered, well-pleasing, right? If you think about this, it's totally forgivable that we even live in a sexist society, given that it's millennia and millennia and millennia of habitual training. It's not going to change overnight Mm -hmm. because we have this setup called (laughs) the best a woman could ever do to fulfill her goals and ambitions is to be marriageable. Yeah. That's, the, that's like, that's, that was your one shot, right? So what do you want to be if you're, you're, you're marriageable, right? You want to make sure that attention on yourself, you are a good candidate. You're resourceful. You're modest. You don't ask too much. You don't go, you don't outshine everyone, but you don't fall behind. It's the entire pattern of what we think of as, as that repressive good girl that I'm low maintenance. I'm fine. I'm totally low maintenance. I'm cool. I'm chill. I'm an easy chick. I'm the, I don't need that much. No, I'm good. I can take care of myself. Like all of that stuff, I can even feel it in my body, how caging it is, is basically a a translation of an 18th century manual from Victorian times on how to get married, how to marry well, right? Whereas the criteria for men was different. And that arrangement, that economic social arrangement is ending. It's fading, right? The moment women got the right to work. And if you think about it in terms of human history, it's been a, it's been a minute. It's really been fast. Yeah. So it's going to take a long time for all of the cultural modes to change. Mm-hmm. But the practice, and this is, you know, I wrote a book this year called Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power. In the book, I go through a process where the reader can understand how to attain this and how to master this ability of attention that we all innately have. But when we become aware of it, it's a real game changer. It starts explaining all of the things that you might have to make separate rules for, like woman in a meeting syndrome, right? Like a woman's in a meeting and her idea gets stolen by somebody else. What's up? When we examined what happens on a bodily level in that room, what we found was a woman is speaking the way she was taught with her attention slightly inside the field of her space, right? So even if she's not saying, I think maybe we should, may I make a suggestion? Even if she's not disclaiming and using all that language, so long as her attention is inward, the group does not feel held or led by the leader. So she can say something brilliant and beautiful, not even sound insecure, but not own the bodies in the room and a restlessness occurs. When you're speaking with a dominant state of attention, the bodies of the listeners shift into a submissive state. You can see it. There is a break in their holding. They sigh, they blink, they sink in, and their listening becomes different. Their listening becomes more receptive and clearer. There is a there is not an obedience, but a, a receiving. So what happens in those rooms when we've looked at them, what happens is the purpose of restating it and it will usually be a man in the dominant state of attention, is to alleviate the itch that restlessness just happened with an incomplete order, with an incomplete communication to the group. And what what sticks out in memory afterwards is the man's telling, not just because he's a man, I'm not saying that pure sexism doesn't exist, but because the delivery didn't land in the bodies of the listeners. They needed somebody to like get it into the goal, like move it all the way. And that's what's remembered. That's what's memorable. That's what's credited. That's what's remarkable. So that's just one example of the hundred thousand little things that need to change and how we run our world. But this isn't cheat for a woman who wants to 
be able to own the body temporarily, the being, the listening of the person she's talking to, and also be, when she speaks from a surrendered submissive place, be felt, be seen, be heard, and occupy that magnetic stance in such a way that the other person's energy wants to reach in and do whatever is necessary to, to complete that arc of joy or that arc of happiness, or that arc of satisfaction. Mm. It's so interesting. As a couple of things that came up as you were saying that, the first one was, you know, as you are stepping out of the way that maybe you've always been and you've been conditioned to be and into more of that, as you said, capturing the attention, being able to really communicate clearly and to be able to captivate the bodies of the audience, the state of uncomfortability that comes with that and almost questioning yourself and doubting yourself and maybe the conditioning that comes from like, I don't want others to feel uncomfortable here because I can definitely say that for myself, like a lot of the way that I am. I don't know if you know much about human design or anything like that, but I've been learning a lot about that personally. I'm a reflector. And so a lot for me is kind of about like feeling the other person and really sort of like mirroring for them. And I find it very easy to sort of read in a situation like how is someone responding to me and again it might be the reflector it might be like how I've been conditioned growing up but a lot of it is always geared towards making sure the other person in the conversation is feeling comfortable and finds it easy to communicate with me and so sometimes like in even what you're saying it's like okay if you come in you're like you know what I'm going to start to change the way that I am being and I'm presenting in order to command more of that attention what happens there? Like, does that feel uncomfortable for the woman who is then stepping into this new way of being? And it's completely different to how she's always been. How do you handle that transition? I'm going to use you as an example, right? Please. I'm going to use your question as an example. And you are a description of what happens with the thinking and the self-consciousness and the feeling and and back to the thinking, right? What you just demonstrated was having your attention partially and talked about partially in yourself and partially on me. Right. This is this mixed state that I'm talking about. This is uh, women not having permission to penetrate the, the field of somebody else's attention. The moment you have your attention fully out on another person, two things happen. One, you cannot and are incapable of feeling self-doubt, self-consciousness, or fear. Mm. If your attention is fully out on the other person. You do not exist that way anymore. You are just the pure dominant state of attention. You're a flow state, and they are the only thing that exists right? This is not a permanent state. It can take three minutes. It can take five minutes. It can take an hour. It can take two seconds. So in that moment, the first thing that happens in the dominant state of attention is self-consciousness is not possible. Your attention's on them. And the second thing that happens is you don't have to ask yourself how you're feeling because the most profound and accurate kind of empathy and functional, practical empathy, not the kind that takes over you and drowns you out, takes over. You don't have to ask because you know. And if you ask, it's based on something you're seeing. You just slowed down how your face moves. You just nodded. Did that mean that you understand what I'm saying? Right? Like, so the language can start matching in presence, in real time, the attention that you're landing on the other person. Now, if you were just in your own feeling state, right? You might've even sank back and closed your eyes, be like, I know that I want to feel really good when I communicate. You wouldn't even need it to look at me. Mm. And I know how much I like it when I'm not worrying. In a fully saturated, surrendered state, there's a way in which the other person doesn't exist. Mm. There's a way in which their attention is the only thing you feel. They're invited into your world deeply and intimately. 
We do this exercise in the school that just has to do with looking and describing. It's so, so, so simple. But in five minutes, the two people who are practicing the dominant state of attention and the submissive state of attention both feel such an intense connection, intimacy, power in one sense, and feeling seen and heard in the other. Mm. That it becomes really apparent that what we're all missing is the interactions where we see and feel and hear each other because we don't know how to use our attention. It's all over the place. It's not on you. It's not me paying attention to you and how you're hearing what I'm saying. It's not on me, me paying attention to how I'm feeling, hearing your question. It's someplace in between and someplace else entirely. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about power, power is made of energy and attention and power is what happens powerful relationships power powerful communications right this powerful presence is what happens when you get your shit together around your attention mm. it's interesting i as you are talking and speaking you know originally i thought okay it needs to be more outward but then as you're saying there's almost power in in going inwards am i interpreting that correctly that's right and is the mix-up coming from the fact that we don't know which one to be in or how to use utilize it properly? You don't have to think about it because when you're having that one of those amazing conversations or when you're having sex or when you're having those amazing dynamics that are just right on, what's happening is, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to happen between us right now. Like, I feel you really seeing me. Mm. And I hear your voice differently. And then what? It, there's a constant switching. When I'm talking to you and paying attention to you, how are the words landing in your body and vice versa? So there, it's not, it's not a permanent state. You don't need to know which one to do just like you don't yeah. need to know. And, and we notice it. We notice it again when it's not working Two doms. Okay. So yeah. men, men who are trained to be in the dominant state of attention, they, they don't want to get into a fight. So they can't pay such close attention to each other. So they talk about other things, the weather, sports, blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> Oftentimes these are very stereotypical things. I understand I'm being very stereotypical when it comes to gender dynamics, but this need to switch fluidly is universal. Mm. But our really stupid old ideas of masculinity and femininity are going to shape how we use our attention. So two women sitting at coffee, one takes a turn being surrendered and submissive talking about her issues and problems, and the other one does the same. It's two subs, right? Yeah. Not, not always, but that's the tendency, just like with, with two men who, who can't dominate each other, they don't want to start a fight. So they talk about the third thing, abstractions, things that are not true. And almost every difficult relationship, whether it's like with a mother who's uh, domineering by being incredibly needy, she's basically topping from the bottom. She's, she's being, she's all manipulated dynamics come to these two things. Mm. And like, I'm sure it's, there might be people out there being like, of course, this is a dominatrix interpretation of energetics, but it's not just that because for a while I was calling it yin and yang it's it's closer to yin and yang energy as you would in a martial arts training or in really deep healing practices but when i started talking about yin and yang to an early class of women they looked at me like a bunch of zebras you know <laughs> it's just like what are you talking about what are you talking no we're gonna do it. we're gonna do it. we're gonna practice it ready <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because that was the other part of it that came up when you were speaking was 
the masculine and the feminine. And I talk about that a little bit on the podcast here as well. And a lot of, you know, as it relates to business and things like that as well, we've got a lot of entrepreneurial women that listen. And so that was kind of what came up when you were speaking too, like, you know, being dominant, but being in your feminine, is that something that is possible? Because I know, you know, I'm someone that for a long time has sort of like, I think that I have more of a masculine energy. And so for me, it's about, you know, honoring the sacred feminine side as well and remembering to come back in there. But I guess my question is, is it possible to be in that empowered and dominant state while still being in your feminine? Absolutely. So I'm going to demonstrate, but I don't know if this is going to work because listeners who can't see the video are going to be missing a piece. Okay. We can trust. So I am now going to pretend that I am a big burly man in my masculine. I'm going to occupy the submissive surrendered state of attention. Right. So the first thing is the submissive surrendered state of attention uses I language with an I oriented state of attention. Mm-hmm. That's why nonviolent communication is built on I statements. It's de-escalating two doms who are about to get into a tussle. So I believe in this work. I feel very powerfully that going forward, this could blah, 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 blah. I feel it in my spine, utmost integrity, values, principle. This is how I feel. Okay. Yeah. Dominant state of attention. As the most girly girl, you have the most beautiful red lipstick on today. That moves, yes, just like that, just like that, around your white teeth and all, oh, you have the longest, most graceful neck. Look at that. Total domination. Total domination with the airy voice of Marilyn Monroe. It's about where the attention is, Mm. the, the language, you know, in a really basic, basic way, how many women have been gaslit because the subject was changed from the thing to how they were behaving, right? Mm. That's a switch. That's a dominant mm. Put a woman on the spot, make her explain herself, question her. Oh, so you were a tank top to this interview, huh? Right? Like, <laughs> like that means anything. We're wearing almost the same necklace, by the way. Yeah, I love right? that. Those are those slips in attention and grammar that end up doing more, more damage than the content of mm. what is being said. It's so interesting, even as you say that, and I'm listening and I'm taking note of what you're saying. And I'm like, okay, I'm relating it to myself. And I even catch myself, even though I know what you're saying is an example and joke is the wrong word, but to even say like, oh, the tank top. And I witness part of me, like a tiny bit of me being like, I fucked up. (laughs) Even though I am someone that's very much like stand in your power, wear whatever the fuck you want, like own who you are. I do witness. And I love to be honest here and just like, Hey, this is what's coming up for me. I do witness part of me going, Oh, maybe she's right. Like maybe I should have worn something different. Even though I don't believe that to be true, there is a part of me that comes up. And even though I know that you're not being serious about it either, there is part of me, I guess, that is conditioned to want to please. Yes. So uh, it's also a conditioning that it makes sense. It's it's born out of love. We want attention and we don't want attention because attention is dangerous. Yeah. So, but, but this is relevant because, so, you know, the um, I'm teaching a course right now called Unshakable Confidence. So we're having a lot of fun right now because we're playing with this idea that these, there's all these statistical studies about how women will assess their performance on a test 30% less than it actually was on average. So, you know, it's really simple to measure because if you got, you know, 
10 questions right, but you think you only got seven right, well, that's easy to measure what the percentage is. So 30% less. On average, a man will assess his performance on a test, same test, 30% higher than his actual score. That leaves a 60% gender gap, a 60% gender gap. So what happens if you take that assessment, raise it by 60% and try to defend your score, try to defend your higher score? What happens is a flood, a flood of confidence. So if you had been bragging outwardly to other people about how phenomenal your tank top is for five minutes before this interview, and I had used that as an example, the first thing you would have done is, oh, thank you. You noticed this, right? So it's not like you got caught in the moment lacking confidence. It's that having, we all know that the signal of attention on a woman could be potentially life-threatening, sexually dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. How do you train yourself out of that kind of relationship to attention in the world when it's obvious it's not relevant, right? Well, one thing is to put a lot of really positive attention on yourself in the presence of others, especially other women. Well, I have all my students sign a ban on self-deprecation vow hmm. and rope their friends into it. Hmm. So you, you can say you have a headache. You have to make sure that anytime somebody is diminishing or putting themselves down, it gets caught and corrected. Hmm. Not because we all want to feel good all the time, but because that's the prophylactic base for protection against confidence dysmorphia, total distortion, and dangerous scenarios where either credit or space or boundaries are taken away from you. Mm, Wow. Um, Something that you said earlier was about, you know, being able to sort of move, move the attention where you want it. And when someone's asking you a question that is invasive or inappropriate, to me, the response that comes up based on what you're describing is almost like deflect it. And I'm not sure if that's right or wrong with what's with the with how you would describe it, but I would love to go there a little bit more because I know that you speak a lot about that, around how to actually say no or how to move away from something that is inappropriate and that you don't have to answer. Can we talk about that? Yeah, the I'll just say the response, the right response is the one that makes you feel energetically satisfied. It's usually the one that feels good. Mm. You know, so if you say deflect, Sometimes that won't feel good because it's not a match to the tennis ball you were hit, you know? So there's some stuff left over in the space. The idea is to have nothing left over in the space. Mm. Sometimes it's just a question of asking a question back with the same intensity, even if it's a dumb question. No, I mean, you could get away with, do you know what time it is (laughs) in a pitch, you know, and it'll do the job because we're energetic beings. Yeah. And that's the point that needs to be satisfied. Yeah. What are some of the exercises or practices that maybe you could share with our listeners? Like even how you said, like if for five minutes before this conversation, I'd been like, look at my tank top, like getting into that state of confidence before the interaction. What are some other things like that? Because I know for myself personally, I know when I'm on it. I know when I walk away from a conversation, I'm like, fuck, I feel good. Like that was just like so in flow. And I walk away feeling really confident versus when I walk away being like, I don't even know why the fuck I said that. Like that didn't make sense. That was not in service of me. That's not even what I wanted to say. I literally did it in the lift the other day. I had this conversation with this man He was doing nothing wrong, but he was just saying things. And, you know, I was just kind of responding in the way that 
I think he wanted me to respond. And when I walked inside, I was like, what the fuck was that person? Like, where, why did I just become this little mouse version of myself? And I know the mouse version versus the lion version. And I love the lion, the mouse. I'm like, okay, I need to start handling better. Well, you know, better is probably the wrong word, but like just learning how to be more in confidence, I guess. So that's from my perspective, but I'm sure that there are a lot listening who would love practices or even some of the exercises that you do with your students to really embody that state of confidence or to be able to handle situations that feel uncomfortable or to own their power a little bit more. So one thing, and this is primary and it's so fundamental, is in any interaction, when you were talking with this gentleman Mm. and you said that you may have been answering the questions and responding the way he might've liked you to. Do you know what you wanted to get out of that interaction? I think I didn't want to offend him. Yeah, but what did you want? Because that's what you didn't want. (laughs) Very good. That's my point. This is the point. This is exactly the point. The number one thing that'll solve so many problems is having a practice of logging your desires throughout the day, like compulsively. What do I want? What do I want? What turns me on? What lights me up? You know, in the, uh, the academy is the name of the school, my school, right? The, the first thing, the first thing the students learn when they walk in the door is this is not a school of right and wrong. It's a school of dead or alive. It's about what's alive. So not wanting to offend someone, right? That's pretty dead feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's almost more alive to want to offend them on purpose yeah, you know? or make yeah. them laugh right? Or get information, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, we're going deep here. The submissive state of attention, that default, right? will have a tendency to not have, to make a woman not look in situations for what she wants. That's too, that's too attention out, right? That's too masculine. It's like women have become masculine in so many of the ways that that even men shouldn't be. And so few of the ways that actually yield pleasure, desire, victory, and satisfaction. So it sounds really basic. Desires, not goals, desires. What do I want? What do I want right now? Checking in. What do I need right now? What, What would make this situation more pleasurable for me? What do I want out of this? But upon closer examination, what the hell do I want ends up being a thing. Right. So not hot, right. Not sexy, not turning us on playing defense all the time. So I ask a room full of women about their desires. I want my uncle to stop disrespecting me. I want my kids to stop leaving a mess. It's a lot of, I want blank to stop. I want relief. I want it to end. I want, I don't want, I don't want. So ask a woman what she wants. Chances are she'll start with a list of the things she doesn't want. Instead of making that wrong, we started just going there. We started going there. All right, let's see if inside the complaint, right, complaint lower level, rage higher level, but let's start with the lower level complaint, if we can find desire. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that oftentimes our complaints feel gross because the desire inside the complaint is too big to fit. Mm. the way one feels when one has been like bitching about the socks being left on the bedroom floor for the thousandth time. (laughs) Uh, The desire inside of that is usually bigger than the sock problem. Yeah. So we have an exercise. So first is like keeping a desire log. Second is especially if you cannot find anything that you want, start bitching and complaining and turn your 
complaints into desires. So some of them will have a one-to-one ratio, right? Sometimes it will be like, I'm complaining. I really hate it that they leave the socks on the floor and the desire is pick up the socks. But sometimes it's not. It's like a respectful household. It's noticing the things that I do. It's better communication. It's the better communication that leads to better sex. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. sometimes now, if you go to somebody and go, instead of saying for the thousandth time, pick up your socks, go, you know what? I was just about to bring up the socks again. And I realized that what I actually really want, Mm. what I actually really want is to be able to walk into this bedroom and see this temple of eroticism that you and I created. I want to be able to see that our hard-earned money has, your work and mine has created luxury and a feeling of freedom and ease, right? Like whatever, whatever it is. So compelling. Yeah. Higher rather than the small complaint. Definitely. It works the same way with rage when you're fighting against something. And this is even important with activists who are running dry, right? Like check and see, like we, we, there's a lot of need for, for change in this world. When you're fighting against, fighting against, fighting against, there's a tendency to spend less time or even no time connecting to the vision of what we're fighting for. Mm. No, like the sourcing right? That's what I mean by the academy is a school of what's alive. It's not right or wrong. It's what's dead or alive. The amount of life that you can generate, the amount of human energy and synergy you can generate. And this isn't positive thinking because you need the dark too, right? But you go through it in order to find what's there. Ending violence, ending horrible things. Where where are we pitching the visions of matriarchy or peace orgasmic celebration you know really good at saying stop that not that that's bad and it may be and it's important to stand up and be able to say these things but the the continuation you know where we get sourced is in the desire not the complaint what we're fighting for and you know the, the irony is all the things we call negative emotions are containers for the energy we need to achieve the thing that we want So rage has a lot of energy, but if you're only fighting against, you can't use that energy to create the thing that the energy came for to begin with, Mm. right? There's like an arc that needs that we bodily need to pass through. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's tricky for me is I see all of these things energetically with my eyes and they're simple and obvious But actually, because they're simple and obvious, they're so beneath the level of language that it takes so many words and so much pontificating to be able to to describe it. But you know it when it's there. You know when somebody's hit the spot. You know when you're connected with attention. You know when you're in doom scrolling mode versus wildly inspired, Mm. right? transfixed and enthralled and and in the space of vision there's so much power in your words and the way that you command attention you're very good at what you do even the way that you pause in sentences I feel captivated listening to you watching you and I know that people can't see you but I know that listening to you will feel the same because I know that when you pause it's not the end so I'm kind of like hanging on like what's coming next like I can feel it and I love that like it's beautiful to witness I know that that's something that I personally need to work on because I'm more like let's just fill the space like there's lots of gaps here there's lots of things that I could just be filling in there and I tend to do that rather than to pause and speak more calmly and so there's a lot that I'm taking away from from you so thank you so much because it's just it's 
it's empowering to watch and to also reflect on for myself where I can be better. The thing that you said around the negative emotion, quote unquote negative, being the container for the energy or the emotion that we actually truly need. I love that. I just wanted to highlight that because I feel like that was just game changing, that one tiny little sentence to just really realize it's something that I've been doing a lot of work on within myself is really looking at the negative, again, quote unquote, negative things about myself that I would demonize or label as not good enough. How can I see them as strengths within myself or something that I can celebrate or learn from rather than make it a bad thing or feel as though I have to cover up or make better. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not uh, sure if you have anything on that, but I would love to discuss. You have a lot. I have so yeah. much that I, I'm tempted to ask you for an example. So you, you can, your example could help me choose. Yeah. You know, sometimes I often find it very difficult to make a decision and I'll sit with it and I'll make that a very bad thing. Or another side of me is that, you know, I'm quite goal oriented and sometimes can get incredibly focused on that to the point of almost pushing out everything else around it to just let streamline and focus on the goal. Yeah. So in one example, you can't focus and in the other, you focus too much. Yeah. So okay, let's let's play a little bit because the beautiful thing about kids is they know how to play games with each other without letting reality get in the way. So let's just suspend reality for a second. We we have um I'll give you I'll give your listeners a catch-all exercise to play with. But first, so you're indecisive, are you? Sometimes you just can't make a decision. How terrible. That's so terrible. So the first thing is to see if you can eroticize it. Mm. There's two ways. One is to eroticize it, or if it's a kind of a young feeling, it's to make it adorable. It's so adorable. And I'll tell you why, because the the, the core of something like that has to do with shame. And those are the two ways to work with shame. Mm. It is so adorable, Taylor, that you really want to make the right decision. And that you still believe that there is such a thing. It's mm. so adorable, right? That's the, the childish one. The erotic one is you're flirting with fate, aren't you? I like that one way more. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So one of the most fun things we do is persona play, right? So, so the persona of the seductress would be flirting with her choices. She would be teasing the options. She would be leading the options on. She would be breaking the hearts of one or two or three of the options on a regular basis and then bringing them back into the fold. In the body, the lower the chakras, the better their capacity for alchemy. And especially a woman's sexual sacral centers are incredibly good at converting energy. They're incredibly good at converting a hesitant energy to a usable energy, a muddy energy or a dark energy into a piercing energy, a useful energy. So the catch-all exercise is a really simple one. It's not targeted to a specific scenario or thing that we like to change about ourselves or thing that we don't like about ourselves. It's full-on going into our idea of bad. It's called the bad girl protocol. So you write, if I were a bad girl, 
and you fill in the blank with the worst things that you could possibly imagine that's, that, that move something in you. It can be revenge. It can be overt sexuality. It can be breaking rules. It can be illegal, right? And in that, what tends to happen in that stretch is there's an arc and you can feel that some of the gnarlier ones give way to some of the cleaner ones. Sometimes, you know, I've had women be like, if I were a bad girl, I get eight hours of sleep a night. I'm like, really? That's bad. That's bad. Yeah. It's yeah. not a judgment of their ability to, to, yeah. to go, go into villainous or darker personas. It's that that was waiting to be spoken. That's what was hidden in the closet. That was, that was the, that was the thing I'm not allowed. Yeah. If we can responsibly, then it is to do it on paper, to do it on purpose before it. If you don't catch these energies on purpose, if you don't lean into these energies and improve the hell out of them, they're going to come through you anyway, but in that poison arrow way, in that way where you start tanking your relationships with little comments or by not showing up or by getting sick or by there's a thousand different ways that those energies, when they don't move through us, will, you know, you either use it or it uses you. You use your rage or it uses you. You use your shame or it, or it uses you. And the celebration and welcoming of those sides of ourselves does so much to handle the problem, to do the alchemy that like, not even like, it's okay that I sleep late, but I am the laziest, most luxuriously loafing, lovely human being that's ever existed. I am so good at taking my time. I get away with so much. I am so good at getting away with things yeah. and just going for it, right? It's, there's a, there's a, a fiction about us that we are individuals. We are made up of many, many, many voices. And that's exciting. Mm. I love it. I love all of it. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. There's so many other things that I was like, oh, let's go here. Let's go there. But if there was one last thing that you could leave our listeners with, what would it be? What would you want them to be their biggest takeaway from this today? It's something I didn't talk about at all. And it has to do with these times. I'm, it, there, these times are on my mind. Mm. I think there's like, a, there's like a, a lot of pressure around holding it together or faking it. Yeah. Um, and in part because... I don't think we can collectively process our fear and disappointment about what's been happening. Mm. The ground beneath our feet, our bodies, our planet, all these things are no longer safe. And that's going to take a toll on us. In this disintegration, there is a huge plus. Right now is the absolute best time to start creating the future, the invisible architecture of the life you want, unrealistic, unbound from material reality. This is actually the time where the level of reality that's right in between spirit and matter is the most loose it's been in my lifetime. Mm. The most loose it's been in decades. Right now is the time to have unreasonable desires. You don't need to speak them. You don't need to act on them. You do not need to put them on a calendar or an action plan. In fact, right now to do so would be foolish. Put your attention and energy on starting to build the thing inside yourself that turns you on, that raises your life force. Because holding that right now will make its manifestation in a couple of years to come so quick, so, so immediate, so easy, easier than it's ever been. For all the things that have been hard, this is going to be really easy. So what I want to leave the women listening to this with is 
This is the time to have a ton of fun imagining the impossible. I love it. Thank you so much. That's so powerful. Honestly, I feel like that's obviously what people needed to hear. That's why they're listening. It really, you know, for me, it really brought up the concept of things being born out of chaos. And I feel like exactly what you're saying was that like, we're in this time of chaos right now. What do you desire to birth? Oh my gosh. Honestly, Kasha, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. And I know those listening will have gotten so much out of it. And it's probably only just like scraped the surface, like sort of created that little spark within them. So I know a lot of people will want to connect with you, will want to learn more about the Academy and everything like that. Can you please let them know where they can connect with you online? Yeah, the easiest is website, weteachpower.com. Easy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's clearly very true that that is what you do. So we will link that in the show notes for people to go and connect with you. And also the book is a really good training manual for all of these things. Yeah. So amazing. And that's on your website as well. Yeah. Amazing. We'll pop that all in the show notes. So it's super easy, but again, beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on. So appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, beauty. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. For more resources to support your expansion as you manifest your desires, make sure you check out my website at www.taylorray.com.au. I'm sending you all the love and I'll see you back here soon.